Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. We hope you had a great 4th of July, successful day, and didn't have any, maybe any firework Burns. injuries. Yes. <laughs> right? So, uh, hope it was a great day. and um, Great time but, to celebrate. Exactly. Exactly. And we're going to celebrate here with some great topics. Um, we're starting off with what? Uh, lottery winners whose money and luck ran out. Money and luck ran out. Yeah. yeah it just goes to show. So it'll well, be interesting to look at it. And it's interesting. It's not, you know, as I was, you know, preparing for this and looking at it, I know you have examples as well, but it's not just lottery winners. It's folks that, um, you know, get settlements, uh, maybe, uh, you know, life insurance proceeds. I mean, if you get a lump sum of money, um, it doesn't have to be millions of dollars. It can create issues. And it so can. That's kind of the theme of this. Right. Just a windfall in windfall, general. That's yeah. Right. Just does not usually turn out well. Um, people tend to make poor decisions with that kind of money. So we'll go through that. So that's going to be very interesting. We're going to follow up with the most common IRS audit triggers. Mm, um, that's a positive topic. Well, it's something you just want to be careful. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that time of year. I don't know if you've seen this, but. You know, people start getting letters from the IRS about this time of year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we'll dig into that and show you the things that you want to pay attention to to not trigger an audit. Um, some common things that, that people don't don't recognize that uh, that can trigger an audit. Um, but by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 24 years of experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. You can listen to the podcast from our Website. You can also go and link to uh, the couple hundred other podcasts that we've done over the years. Uh, a lot of videos, a lot of tools out there. Facebook page. We put a prescription of the week up there every single week, and we do have our Twitter handle as well, MoneyMD. And check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net, where you can link to us and send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net. Well, John, speaking of taxes, we have a great <laughs> financial fact of the week, right? Yes, this comes from the Joint Committee on Taxation. And uh, interesting, Steve, last year in 2018, um, the number of uh, taxpayers who completed Schedule A, which is the itemized deductions, dropped drastically, which is not surprising. About 18 million people um, you know, had itemized deductions, and that dropped from about 47 million people in 2017 because of the standard deduction increased right. significantly for a married couple up to 24,000. So it really, you know, it, it changed. It is changing how people view, unfortunately, in some cases, giving because they're not being credited with that. But uh, big, big drop off in people that are itemizing. Yeah, it was, like you said, expected. I mean, you know, now the, the standard reduction is so high, it knocks out a lot of people from being able to itemize. And, you know, we actually heard a lot of complaints about that when tax filing time a few mm -hmm. months ago about people losing the deductions, and they were kind of upset about that in some cases. Um, but it certainly made filing a lot easier, you know. I mean, you didn't have to go through the Schedule A with all the itemized deductions, um, so it kind of simplified it. Um, and most people did come out ahead, even though they didn't withhold enough mm -hmm. 
because I think they changed the withholding kind of automatically on folks. But um, yeah, one 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 note: if you're if you are a giver um, and you're not able to get credit for that because of the standard deduction, you can group um, a, maybe a couple years of giving, you know, right, right. To, to take advantage of that. So there are some tax strategies out there um, that you need to take a look at to try to help your tax bill. Yeah, kind of lumping them up in one year and mm-hmm. seeing if you can get over that twenty four thousand uh, dollar mark. So you can itemize. So that's a great choice. And if you're over 70, of course, you can do qualified charitable distributions, which is another great strategy. So there are some answers for that. So give us a call if we can help you with any of those. And that leads up here to our first topic, and that is the big lottery winners who run out of luck. And money. And money. (laughs) Well, I mean, what's up with that, John? I mean, you know, know. you win money. I mean, it's supposed to be a happy, exciting thing. So you're kind of turning this on its head, aren't you? It is. It is. This was written by David Sweet and goes through some specific uh, examples. And Steve, you know, we talked about it in the opening, uh, you know, windfall, really, whether it's 50,000, 100,000, you know, you know, 50 million um, you got to be careful with it. It it can change your life for the for the worse. I mean, we see people mm-hmm. that are inheriting money um, or selling businesses, and they just blow through that cash. That's right. And so That's right. this is not just about lottery winners. It's about if you get a windfall, you need to be careful. And obviously, you know, winning the lottery or getting a windfall can um, you know give you a huge fortune and uh, a dazzling future, but. For an unlucky bunch, we're going to go through six examples here. Lottery winnings turn really into a curse, and the list of those that have squandered their prize money, um, you, know, you know, while suffering a lot of headache along the way, is is pretty long. And uh, why does it happen? Uh, I think people, you know, emotionally, you know, they don't do the right planning. Um, right. They probably have a lot of people tugging at them, saying, "Hey, come help me here, come help me there." I mean, really, if you do get a windfall, you need to, you know, take a break, step back for a couple of months, go visit an accountant, you know, CPA, financial advisor, lawyer, get some advice from people. Don't just go head headstrong into it. We'll get, we've got some stories of people who did not do that. That's right. Yeah. And if you're spending a lot of money on lottery tickets, you know, trying to, to finance your future yeah. that way, yeah. you may have another problem. Yeah. So we don't recommend this. that. Not quite the way to, to financial futures. One thing just to buy an occasional ticket, you know, for, for entertainment purposes. But, uh, you know, some of these people who were, were really chunking some real money into the lottery. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a different problem. But, yeah, the first example here is a real-life Beverly Hillbilly story. <laughs> uh, this guy, William Bud Post III. Bud. Bud. Yeah, he worked at carnivals. He spent time in jail as well. So <laughs> he was an ex-convict. Um, anyway, he seemed aimless, no hope of ever making money, uh, enough money to, to live very well. And then in his forties with just a few dollars to his name, he won more than $16 million. Wow. Millions. That's right. In the, uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania lottery. What are the millions dollars? That's right. <laughs> like the Beverly Hillbillies yeah. used to say millions. Um, you know, the, uh, post he would, uh, be a half million dollars in debt in just three months wow. after his 1988 win. <laughs> yeah, why? Why did he? Obviously, wasn't too smart. What either. did he buy? <laughs> well, he bought a twin engine airplane. Oh, okay. Now he didn't have a pilot's license, okay. John. Yeah, so it, it doesn't say here. It doesn't talk about his IQ. He probably wasn't the smartest. You know, yeah, smartest tool in the shed here. He, but uh, yeah, he bought a plane and he didn't have a fly it. It didn't come so, with a pilot. <laughs> and so who knows how much money he had to spend on uh, other things yeah. going with the plane. Well, and it got worse. His brother was convict- convicted of planning his murder. 
Oh, I mean, and his annual after-tax prize payments of $500,000 were spent with little thought of the future. And he he actually filed bankruptcy in the early 1990s, passed away at age 66. Um, You know, he uh, his bankruptcy lawyer basically said he was like a real life Beverly Hillbillies story. I mean, you know, he did everything you would expect someone who came into wealth overnight he said, as an example, he said, you know, if you go buy a laptop, he said this guy Bud would go buy the same laptop and buy 30 of them. <laughs> you know, just no, <laughs> no just, planning at just all. just burning a hole in his pocket. Man. Yeah, really sad. <laughs> Another one here, striking it rich twice, this individual, uh, Evelyn Adams, um, she was a, a convenience store clerk. She won a seven-figure prize, not once, but twice. So about $4 million in wow. 1985. Yeah. And soon after that, she uh, made uh, one another $1.4 million. She had a lot of requests for financial help. Um, she said she couldn't go anywhere without being recognized. And a few of her relatives were so angry with her, it messed up their relationship um, because she had so much money. Yeah, money can do that, unfortunately. <clears throat> but unfortunately, she also had a gambling problem, John, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which you might you might assume from the fact she won the lottery twice. I mean, yeah. how do you win twice unless you're buying a lot of tickets, right? right? So, uh, but yeah, so anyway, she ended up also winning a large, losing a large chunk of her fortune in Atlantic City in the casinos. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in 2012, New York Post um, caught up with her in a New Jersey trailer park. She said she was broke. She works two jobs. She told the newspaper, um, my advice to anyone who wins <clears throat> would be to go to your lawyer and your accountant first. That's good advice. Yeah, that would be good <clears throat> advice. Yeah, another one here, a millionaire um, who won the jackpot. Um, this guy, Jack Whitaker, uh, had been doing very well um, just in his job. He won a $315 million lottery jackpot, um, and he won that in 2002. Yeah, and I tell you, one of my friends uh, actually is related to Jack Whitaker. Interesting. They sure have they some have. very interesting stories about, I about bet. Uncle Jack. Yeah, this guy was from West Virginia. He, t- he took the uh, lump sum payout of $170 million and he planned on donating a large portion of his winnings. He said he really got excited about all the good works he could do with this, as he told the New York Times. And uh, soon after that, you know, the trouble started. He and his wife divorced his granddaughter, who had appeared with him on uh, national TV shows after he won the money. She died mysteriously. Um, Whitaker started, you know, drinking heavily. He said it, you know, he was robbed often. And uh, he had more than 400 legal complaints at one point. And he told ABC News... I wish I'd torn up that ticket. Wow. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> That's sad, it's, you know? Sad yeah. people can't head that off and make some smart decisions. And, uh, you know, and this guy was already successful before mm-hmm. he won the money. So you'd think he'd already know how to handle money, and he would have, uh, I don't know, wouldn't have wouldn't have affected his life so much. But there you go. Yeah, another one, uh, <clears throat> a taxing win. A, a Florida resident, Alex and Rhonda Toth, um, were downtrodden in 1990. They bought a lottery ticket against her wishes, leaving them with only $24 in change, mm-hmm. they said, after they bought the ticket. Um, and they ended up winning about $13 million. They accepted payments of $666,000 for 20 years, but the fairy tale did not have a happy ending. <clears throat> um, it caused them to lose a lot of their friends, they told family member, uh, some family members as well. Um you know, in 1997, that's what she told the St. Petersburg Times. Yeah, and they filed for bankruptcy. In uh, 2006, federal government charged them with tax fraud. And, um, you know, one of the attorneys that was helping them basically said, you know, you need some tax help. Um, not only can you, 
you lose half of it to taxes if you take that lump sum, but at death you could lose another 50% if you don't do some planning. So they didn't <clears throat> recognize they had to pay taxes on some of that money. Huh? I guess, <clears throat> I guess. Unfortunately, Alex died at age 60 and his wife served a couple years in prison. So Oh my goodness. And you got to get some help. I mean, even if it's $100,000, um, we're not, you know, talking about millions. Yeah. You go, you know, sit on it for a little bit. Yeah, you know, I had a client slow. actually win a half million dollars in the lottery one time. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um and he he did invest. You know, uh, the majority of that he had to pay taxes. And back then, it was twenty years ago. He uh, or over twenty years ago, and he he had to pay half of it in taxes mm-hmm. back then in the nineties. So uh, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, another uh, gentleman here won uh, thirty one million in Texas lottery in ninety seven. Um, his name was Billy Bob Harrell Jr. and uh, he had a one point two million dollar annual payments. Purchased new cars and homes for family. He bought uh, nearly 500 turkeys for the poor. He basically was playing Santa Claus, which, I mean, it's good to give that money away. Wow. But you got to have some planning associated yeah, with it. Yeah, you got to have a plan for it. <clears throat> um, but the endless pressure of strangers asking for money took a toll on him. Um, Harold was forced to change his home phone number more than once. He and his wife separated. Uh, then less than two years after he hit the jackpot, he took his own life, according to media accounts. Um so, I mean, they, you know, this attorney says, you know, after you win the lottery, um, one of the first things you have to do is put together a list of people who you trust, make one of them kind of a buffer, you know, to help deal with with uh, the requests that you're going to have from people that come out of the woodwork because you now have a target on your wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting, interesting advice. Um, I mean, I think you want to try to keep anonymous as much as possible. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I guess some states require you to disclose your name. Yeah, and the last one here is uh, Suzanne Mullins won about $4 million in the Virginia lottery. She um, split some of the money with her family. Taxes took a lot of it. Um, she basically had 20 annual payments of less than $50,000, which weren't remotely enough to lead a millionaire's lifestyle. And in financial straits, after only five years, she took out a $200,000 um, loan, basically, from the People's Lottery Foundation, using her winnings as collateral. And According to uh, media reports, Mullins was sued in 2004, and she still owed the foundation more than $150,000 from the loan. So, I mean, we see this with professional athletes as well. They get these big contracts, right. and, right. Uh, you know, you got people coming out of the woodwork. You just have to have a plan and a strategy. It's okay to spend some of it, but, I mean, you've got a plan for taxes and um, you know, your giving strategy and setting some aside for retirement and future uses. and. Um, unfortunately, these folks didn't do that. You know, what it goes to show, though, is is money is actually better if it's earned the hard way, you know, mm-hmm. over time, yeah. um, you know, where you're able to, to have a plan, like you said. And the good news is you don't have to win the lottery to get rich, you know. I mean, if you start saving early and you invest in equities in the stock market, as we talk about many times, and let the, the magic of compounding returns you know, work for you over 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm. um, you'll likely retire rich and uh, are very well off. And so you can do that and, you know, then manage your money well and, you know, have a fantastic retirement, unlike these lottery winners who got this big lump sum and it ended up tragic. So Yeah. Yeah. Not only did they lose their, the money, they lost their, their lives and so, relationships. Exactly. It's just not worth it. Exactly. It's not worth it. So... There you go. Don't don't play the lottery. Get rich the old fashioned way. Right. Save it, earn it. As Dave Ramsey um, says, it's a uh, it's a crock pot to build wealth, not a microwave. Exactly. Right? It's not instant. Exactly. 
Anyway, interesting topic, and that leads up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with annuities and specifically non-qualified. And um, so a non-qualified annuity is basically not a retirement account. It's it's after-tax money that you put in there. And the question is, is will my gains be taxed at a capital gains rate, which is 15%? And the answer is no. It's going to be treated as ordinary income. So yeah. you know, if you put in 50000 and it grows to, to seventy. And you pull twenty thousand out. That twenty thousand is going to come from the earnings piece of it, and right. it'll show up as income that you'll have to pay federal and state taxes on. So you got to be careful with that. At your highest marginal rate. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, and that's one reason why I don't think non-qualified annuities are 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 a very good tool for most people. Um, you know, you get tax deferral, but then it's all taxes, <clears throat> ordinary income. And nowadays, long-term capital gains rates are an advantage. In fact, if you're in a 12% tax bracket, which for married couples, that goes all the way up to 104000 of adjusted gross income. If you're in a 12% tax bracket, long-term capital gains rates are zero. Mm-hmm. Nada. I mean, you can't get it much better than that. You know, zero tax rates. So can't do that in an annuity. Um, so, you know, I would resist the temptation to buy an annuity and just invest it in an after-tax investment and just, you know, have it tax-managed so that mm. it creates long-term gains, not short-term gains. And for most people, that works out to be a better tax situation than buying a non-qualified annuity. So yep. interesting question Sp- of the week. Speaking of taxes. Speaking of taxes, <clears throat> hate to be the Debbie Downer here, but <laughs> there are some problems, you know, with taxes you can get into and one of those is audits. Um, yeah, this comes from an article, um, actually a blog post from Peter Whitson. It's a CPA um, out there. And, uh, you know, this is very recent. And so these are the most common IRS audit triggers. And, John, I don't know about you, but I've had um, some clients recently who have received those kind of ugly notices you get from the IRS saying that you potentially owe a lot of additional taxes because of some discrepancy on the previous year's tax return. Those usually come out like May, June timeframe mm-hmm. of the following year. And I've had a couple of them this year and uh, we have them every single year. We have clients that get those. And you know, it's the type of call I'm talking about when you get it from a client. It's it's a little bit panicked. You can hear it in their voice because mm-hmm. they received this letter which says they owe us some huge amount of additional taxes because of some unreported income, usually coming from like capital gains, maybe they didn't report. Um, fortunately, the solution to that is usually pretty simple. Usually you check the box that you disagree with the proposed changes, and you include some documentation showing the real amount of capital gains that you should have reported, um, which results in maybe a little bit more in taxes, but nothing close to what the IRS assumes, because they assume the worst that you had no tax basis in in those gains. Um, However, you know, um, that's one type of problem. But however, you can trigger much bigger tax problems if you fall victim to a real audit due to some type of typical red flag the IRS is looking for. And I've actually been through uh, a sit-down audit, Mm -hmm. had to drive to Columbia, um, take a half a day off to do it, and sit down with them and go through all of your tax records, and they want to look at three years' worth and that's an excruciating experience, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you fret about it, you know, the week ahead of time, you know, whenever it's scheduled and, you know, you spend an inordinate amount of time preparing for it because you don't know what they're going to ask. And, you know, so uh, you don't want to go through that. You want to avoid that at all costs, believe me. 
Um, fortunately, mine came out. I didn't know anything. There yep. was nothing wrong. Yep. But they just simply, I was just triggered. You yep. know, I triggered some kind of red flag with them. Um, so you want to review the most common red flags. That's what we're going to do here to, to that tend to catch the auditor's attention. Yeah, and some red flags uh, you can't avoid. If you um, go back and look at uh, 2017, the IRS statistics, it shows that incomes, uh, individuals with incomes between 200 and a million with no Schedule C uh, had an audit rate about double that for all other taxpayers. So if you're making a lot of income, you know, the chances are going to go up that you're going to be audited. But there are ways to deal with, with a lot of the red flags, and in part by taking a little extra care when you're preparing that tax return, uh, being aware of the proper filing requirements, um, which are pretty clear most of the time in their instructions. And, uh, you know, if you look at Schedule C, which is used to report income or losses from a business that you operated you know, or a profession that you practice as a sole proprietor, the uh, the odds double again that you'll face an audit. Um, but there are ways to reduce those odds, and we're going to kind of jump into that now. Yeah. In fact, that's the one that <clears throat> triggered me is, is I was filling out Schedule C, and uh, that, that triggered the audit because mm-hmm. it was – it was kind of a little, just increases your odds. And, you know, there's not a lot of detail on Schedule C. So they had some questions about some of the things mm, I yeah. put on Schedule C, which were correct. But, yeah, they wanted more details. Um, so, yeah, but here are some of the most common red flags. First one is being self-employed, as we just talked about. You know, if you're self-employed, you can't avoid having expenses that are going to be red flags. But disclosing those expenses on your Schedule C and answering all the related questions can reduce the the uh, questions the IRS might have uh, as a result of that. Um, an example of what to do is to show that you know for for the items where allowable where the limits are the allowable limits are are uh, you know are set you know where there are certain limits like for entertainment costs or business gifts. You make sure you're deducting the right amount. And when the form asks questions such as what's your inventory method or your cost of accounting or home usage for business purposes, you got to respond to those. So just make sure you answer all the questions um, and you provide as much detail as possible when you're filling out a Schedule C. You know, if you're doing a Schedule C, you might want to have an accountant help you with that. You know, that's not the kind of thing. It's, it's getting a little detailed. Mm-hmm. You may not want to be doing that on your own. Or you may find yourself in an audit. The next one here is taking deductions for large charitable contributions and not filing Form 8283, um, which you're supposed to do for, for large ones. Um, you know, there's, there's a strict, there are strict rules for charitable deductions that require disclosing uh, things about non-cash amounts. So if you're giving, like, property or stock or something like that, if it's over $500, um, there are certain rules for that, which require you to file to fill out that form eighty two eighty three, and if it's over five thousand dollars, there's actually a, an appraisal requirement. Um, <clears throat> again, if it's not a marketable security, so you know if you overlook those, you know it's going to cause you to to raise the red flag. Got to make sure you're filling out all the details. Um, you know, and for very large deductible amounts in relation to your gross income, including, you know, having low interest, low dividends, high mortgage interest, all of those are going to peak um, the interest. So you want to make sure that what you're putting on your tax return seems logical, make sure it's right, and make sure, that, of course, that you're providing explanation 
if at all possible. Yeah, another uh, red flag potentially is deduction for rental losses. Uh, can certainly raise an alarm, and you know they're limited um, in, in the amount of for any given year, but you can carry them forward. So that's Schedule E. You uh, is what you report the the rental income. Um, and uh, it's Form 8582 for, for passive activity loss limitation, uh, you know, may also raise the audit potential as well. So, you, you know, the rental losses, if you own rental income, it's going to increase, you know, the chance. Exactly. Next one here is if you're if you've been married more than once, you <coughs> might have alimony deductions. Um, this requires a Social Security number of the recipient. So if you're paying alimony, um, you got to make sure you don't admit that. And if you have multiple former spouses receiving alimony, first you may want to get some marriage counseling. <laughs> that's not in here. <laughs> Sorry, that's not in there. That's not an audit flag. Yeah, it's a problem, though. You want to address that. Um, but also, you want to attach a schedule with the required names, Social Security numbers, and the amounts. You know, receiving alimony, neglecting to report it will generate a notice and possibly an audit to the IRS. So uh, watch out for that one. And, you know, writing off a hobby as a loss. I mean, this raises an issue whether the transaction was you engaged in was for profit or just for a hobby. Um, and therefore, should not be deductible if it's a hobby, of course. So golf's so, not allowed? Yeah, golf's not allowed. If you're just, like, repairing golf clubs, you know, I mean, you better do a lot of them. And you better have receipts if you're going to claim that it's a that it's a uh, it's a business um, you know, likewise, I mean, you don't want to claim you're a farmer if you just if you're just growing a garden. OK, <laughs> so there are lots of ways that people tend to do this. This is one that I, I see is is abused pretty often. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. You know, people with hobbies trying to write off, you know, their, their different things. And, and like I said, farming you mm-hmm. know, is a big one. Um, so anyway, you may not be able to stop it, but you want to make sure you have good records, proof of your business intent, such as advertisement, sales, recognition you know, within the industry, anything to prove that you're actually in business. Yeah. Another one here on the list is uh, deducting business meals, travel and entertainment. You got to be careful. A lot of these deductions are no longer allowed. Um, you got to, you know, identify the the clearly deductible expenses and, and kind of write them out and make sure that, um, you know, you're categorizing these correctly. Yeah, that's right. And then another one is failing to report a foreign bank account. Um, you know, that's a big deal. If you have a foreign bank account, you got to report it. Um, on your Schedule B, um, if you don't, you know, and they, they send a 1099 to the IRS, you're, you're definitely going to get flagged. So be careful of that. Another one is claiming 100% business use for a vehicle. <laughs> it's a little much. That's a little much. Most people, when they have a vehicle in business, they're also using it for per- personal purposes. You have to have a, a vehicle log for that, you know, a mileage log, and you better keep that or else you're going to be – you have to report that on your tax return, and you're going to be flagged. Another one is incorrectly reporting health and pre- health premium tax credits. Um, the, these are are confusing and not always handled properly. So you want to make sure you read the instructions and carefully report the credit properly. You know, with the with the new uh, the relatively new stipend that you get mm-hmm. <clears throat> from the. Uh, Affordable Care Act. Yeah, taking an early payout from an IRA or 401k, um, these distributions, um, you know, they can they can trigger this red flag. Uh, you have to have Form 5329, and you know, if it's rolled over and is tax free, you got to make sure you properly report it uh, as you're as you're filling out your tax form. So again, it's just another activity that's unusual that's going to trigger. All right, here are two of them that kind of fall into <clears throat> what I would call the stupid category. 
Oh, that's what Dave Ramsey would say anyway, okay? Some of it's a little cloudy and foggy. <laughs> a little right. cloudy and foggy, right. <laughs> Definitely. You know, it's, uh, well, the first one here is claiming day trading losses improperly on Schedule C, okay? If you're doing day trading, the, you know, the, the following your income taxes is the least of your problems, <laughs> okay? <true. laughs> I mean... If you're doing day trading and you really are following up, you need to have a, a, a CPA help you because it's very complicated. I won't go through all they have listed here, but you also need to have your head examined because you're going to lose money. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Next one here on the list is operating a marijuana business. Yeah, I think the feds would be interested in that as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you're doing that, eventually it's all going to go up in smoke. So, you know, be careful. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You know, unless you live in Colorado, you're just being stupid, uh, you know, that you're going to get audited because it's 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 against the law you take, in, the, in, in other states. You're taking a big gamble with that marijuana business. Yes, you definitely and are. Speaking of gambling, you got to report those winnings as well, right? That's exactly right. On 1099G. So... Boy, those are some those are some tricky ones. If you're doing those three things, you know, you may want to consult a CPA and a financial advisor. Yeah, and a psychologist, <laughs> psychiatrist. Uh, all right, last two here: engaging in currency transactions. Yeah, cash received in commercial transactions over ten thousand dollars have to be reported on Form eighty three hundred. Omitting this can cause an audit, create some serious consequences. So be careful about if you're doing big cash transactions over $10,000, and then claiming foreign earned income exclusion. So if you're working or living abroad, um, you may qualify for, for the earned income exclusion. Uh, you just got to be careful about that. You got to report it on a certain form, 2555. And this is something the IRS looks at pretty closely. It's probably going to raise a flag. So go see a CPA if you have questions <laughs> Yeah, if you, you know, have these complicated things, you know, you definitely want to see a CPA. You want to avoid these red flags because, like I said, you know, if you go spend an audit, you know, it's a couple a half day in an audit, you're going to spend a whole bunch of time and effort, and and it's going to be painful. You don't want to go through an audit. So uh, avoid the red flags if at all possible. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so whatever goal that you have financially, make it visible. Um, we've heard people of you think about the the Red Cross when they're raising money, they have a little temperature gauge and they'll yeah, you know scratch like it in. So if you're saving for something or you're trying to pay off debt, um, you know it it it'll be a reminder on a daily basis. You can include your family in that in that goal, and it becomes real. Um, and it helps you to kind of stay focused. There we have one example of a family who's trying to pay off their mortgage early, and every month they had a ring, a uh, paper ring, and they were all together. So if you had a, okay. if you had 180 months to pay, you had 180 rings, and they're taking the rings off with their kids as they make the mortgage payments and doing it quicker. So okay. involving That's the kids, cool. you know, something kind of hands-on. Yeah, maybe making a chain or something. Yes, or right. I like to see many milestones, too. You know, have a milestone, you know, a fourth of the way through, halfway through, go to dinner, have some reward halfway through. Um, I think that's a real motivator as well. Yeah. So great idea, good prescription of the week. All right, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. 
This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Gann Associates, a registered investment advisor.